39 weeks ago. 39 weeks ago, before eternal winter, (laughs) we began a 40-week journey through some of the most key and important and insightful New Testament passages that God has breathed and his followers have recorded. And today, guys, today begins week four. Oh, do you believe that? Let's give it up for week four. Oh. And today we come to that one singular passage that stands at the top of the summit. We come to that passage that is the heartbeat of the Bible. We come to that passage that if you were to only read one chapter in the Bible, I would say read this one, and it is John... All right. Well, let's do a sound check. Am I on here? All right. Brace yourselves. We'll see if it happens again. All right. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And Mark is coming my way. It's not even turned on. So I don't think it's that. You know, chapter three only has about four more weeks to go, and we're going to have the new wireless mics in by that point, all right? Guys, it is John chapter three, and I invite you to turn open with me there this morning. If you were to only read one chapter in the entire Bible, read this one. And what it is, is it's this extended conversation between a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And this is significant because when we come to visit people in the night in the ancient world, it's because we don't want them to see us in the daytime. Are you with me? He comes to Jesus in the night and he says, teacher, I know, we know that what you're saying is not is got to be true. We know that what you're saying, who you are, has to be from God because no one can do what you are doing if God were not with him. But I will not come in the day because if I vocalize that out loud and if I vocalize how there is a group within the Sanhedrin who is also grabbing your message, I don't know what it means. So I'm coming to you in the night. Let's keep this hush hush. Let's keep this on the down low. But I've got to know who are you and what is the message you bring. And this is the heartbeat of what John 3 is all about. And when we began this 40-week journey, We began it under an idea, a central idea that has been linking week after week after week. And it's this, that God transforms lives. That God transforms lives. And the primary way that God works to work in the lives of you and of me is through his spirit through his word, intersecting. And so when we come into contact with the words of Jesus and the words of his followers, God's spirit is on the move. It's blowing. And you don't want it to miss you because air is something potent there that has power and ability to transform. And Nicodemus and John meet. And he says what is the heartbeat of this entire conversation that they're going to have. He says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This stands at the heartbeat in so many ways of Jesus' teaching, that there is no part of his kingdom, no part of him, no part of his father, no part of any of this unless you are born again. Sadly, throughout history, people have talked about born-again Christians versus other Christians. There is no such thing as a non-not There's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. Every Christian is born again. It is at the heartbeat of what it means to be Christian, at least if Christian means what those early apostles said that it means. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. What this is all about is transformation. It's the idea that God is looking to come to you with his spirit and transform you. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this word transform because it's not a word we really use too often and, and it can be laced with some uh, you know, misconceptions or, or connotations. When I talk about transform, I don't mean this, all right? All right? Not only does Jesus say you don't have to turn into this, But it's not just about what this thing does either. It's not just that somehow there's a new power source in you or or, or something that channels power within you. It's something more radical than that. When Jesus in the Bible talks about transformation, it's also not talking about this. Now, now, admittedly, it would be cool, right? But he's not talking about that either. And what I mean is, he's not talking about the idea that somehow there's something hidden inside you and you just change back and forth, change back and forth like it's there all along. Jesus is talking about something very different. When he says you must be born again, when the Bible says you must be transformed, what it is saying is there is something so radical Something so radically different that God's spirit is looking to do in you that the only thing it can be equated to is like rebirth, like being born anew. It's not the idea that somehow who you are, your interests, your talents, your experiences somehow get washed aside. It's more the idea that God is coming to you to make you more of who God always intended for you to be. Did you follow that? Because right now we are not who God has made us to be. The difference between who we are and who God has called us to be is so radically different that that phase shift, that transformation can only be equated to rebirth. And Jesus says, if you want to taste my kingdom, you have to be transformed. You have to be born again. Now, I want you to look in John right now. And if you look at around verse 4, I believe, do you see, what what does Nicodemus say? Do you got this? Just shout it out, someone. Yeah, how can someone be born again when he is old? How can this be? And Jesus goes, wait a minute. I tell you, this has, gotta ha- this has to happen. You know, flesh gives birth to flesh, right? People, physical bodies 
procreate physical bodies, but God's spirit procreates the spiritually alive, the transformed. You must be born of water and the spirit, he'll say. The wind blows where it pleases. You got to do it, Nicodemus. Do you see it? You've got to do it. And what does Nicodemus say again in verse 9? How can this be? Are you sensing a pattern here? Are you sensing a pattern? This guy, Nicodemus, he's not grasping what's going on. He's not getting it. Now, don't let the significance of this blow you by. Because who is Nicodemus? He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, right? It's called the Sanhedrin. Do you know who the Sanhedrin are? They are not only the top teachers and guardians of the faith within Judaism, They know it so well that they are judges. When there is a dispute of the law, a dispute of God's command, a dispute in Israel between how people should obey or or follow the, the precepts that God has laid out in a very real way to the situations that people found in their day, and they're going, what do we do? Do you know who they go to? The Sanhedrin. When there's a conflict within a synagogue, between the ways that people are going and what they think God is doing. And and someone needs to step into this. Do you know who they go to? The Sanhedrin. It's like this. Do you know how just like a U.S. Supreme Court justice needs to know U.S. law? In the same way, Sanhedrin needs to know God's way, God's Torah, God's law. And this one who is like the Supreme Court justice of the ways of God, he isn't grasping this fundamental point. And when he asks the question, it may in fact be very innocent. But by virtue of the fact that he comes as a Supreme Court justice, it brings with it challenge. It brings with it, not, it brings with it incredulity. In, 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 in it brings with it this idea that I'm asking you, God, but at the same time, wait a minute, what's up here? Because I know this thing. And so battle lines are being, so to speak, drawn. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you're like talking to your kids someday about some like local ordinance or some law or, or some, some law they have to follow. And a Supreme Court justice is over at your house. And he goes, wait a minute, how can this be? How can this be what you're telling your son? That can be a very innocent question, right? It can be motivated by a sincere desire to know. But do you see how by relation of who the person is, it suddenly becomes laced with a challenge of authority? Now, do you guys ever get lost in YouTube? All right. This happens to me on occasion where I'm looking something up and then it finishes and then like they give you all those windows and you have the sidebar of related things and you're like, oh, 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 what's that? The other day. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Five hours later, oh, well, it's three o'clock, time to punch out, right? (laughs) Happened the other day, I was looking something up for a, a Pentecost service that we're doing here in about two weeks. And I forget how it happened, but over on the side came up this thing that said, epic rap battle of history. All right? Do you know what I'm talking about here? All right. You watch one. I'm just going to tell you your day is done. All right? I got sucked into these things, and I've got to say, four hours later, emerging from the dust and going, today, 
was a really good day. <laughs> now, I want you to try to frame what's going on between Jesus and Nicodemus. And I think I have epic rap battle of history on the brain here a little bit, but it struck me. What they're having, what this dialogue is all about, this back and forth, they are having a rap battle. All right? Nicodemus and Jesus are having a rap battle. Now, I'm going to take a stab that some of you don't know what a rap battle looks like or what I mean, so I grabbed one of these, and I'm just going to show it to you here today, all right? Here it is. Thomas Addison! Was it? Step up, you'll be shocked when I spit and start static I'll rip your style and add it to my long list of past While you were busy digging ditches and burning bridges I'm pumping out and veggies, sacking riches So go back to your pigeons You're a geek, plagued by OCD Crush you, Tesla, there's just no putting it gently I don't alternate my flow, I diss you directly I see a universe of infinite energy But no potential for threat from this enemy So you can call me Tesla, Nikola, impeccably dressed Giving lessons in electrical nemesis This will be on the test So confess to your deaths And let the whole world know What the Serbian did for the wizard of Melo History is getting rewritten and I have read Your best invention was a word to steal credit The truth hurts, you broke and washed up Don't give a smidgen about your visions If they can't make a buck, I conduct business Understood things you never could So dope that I even make New Jersey look good I'm on the record I invented You got dupe there, I said it Now but you $50,000 that you'll never forget it Without me, here's a taste of what this battle would be No lights, no camera, no sound, see? You fool, you think that you can touch me with this? You couldn't handle my gifts with your greedy little mind What's inside mine was ahead of its own time You did not steal from me, you stole me from mankind It's a wireless transmission of truth And it's a shocking real story of a banker with you And if the people knew you stopped me from making power free They would curse the Con Edison with every utility Who won? Who's even more addicting is on this website. You can then vote if you think Tesla or Edison won. And I'm just curious here today. Edison? Tesla. Yeah, let's give it up for Tesla, all right? Now, it struck me. What's going on between Nicodemus and Jesus is an epic rap battle of history. Two tigers coming face to face in the jungle, showing off, trying to show why they're right and going after the other one. So what I thought we would do today is recast John chapter 3 in terms of an epic rap battle of history. Nicodemus versus Jesus. Okay, are you with me here? All right, now, there will be no rapping in this church without gold pants. Now, what we're going to do here today is have a rap battle. And I hope, it help, I hope it helps you see John 3 just a little bit differently. And, and I invited Neil Overbay, who led us in worship today, to play the role of Jesus here this morning. Come on up, all right? All right, you got a mic, man? I'll let you get mic'd up. Now, we need you to get primed. I'm Nicodemus. He's... Jesus, understand that we do not do this for a profession, all right? 
A nice line of grace without a noose at the end would be helpful here today. But to get us in the mood, we need you to help us out. And what we need you to do is set the stage. We need you to give us the intro. Epic rap battles of history! Okay, can you say that? Ready? Do it with... Okay, you guys too. Come on. Come on. Ready? One, two, three. Epic rap battles of history! And you got to let the history go, history! All right, it just, it just doesn't feel right after that. And then after that subsides, I need you together to say this. Begin. Try it. Begin. So the whole thing will sound like this. Epic rap battles of history! Begin. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. All right, Beth. All right, on three. One, two, three. Of Nicodemus, Sanhedrin, the top 71. Questioned by authority, I smoke you, son. You say, I gotta be reborn, not climbing back up there. I'm great, a child of Abraham, elect, I'm an heir. You call me son, I'm Jesus, the son of man. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Come down from the right hand of God, I'll smoke you, man. You question my authority, uh-uh, that's what you did. So now I'm gonna tell you a little story of how this goes, bro. <laughs> Pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> you question here my teaching about rebirth above? Come down, I can't remember my words. I'm gonna try this again. I said, you call me son, I'm Jesus. I am the son of man. Down from the right hand of our God, both man and damn. You question here my teaching about rebirth from above. You're sounding just like Balaam's ass. What I'm bringing you is love. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Who won? Nicodemus? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, that was so lame. <laughs> and, uh, and I can't do this seriously anymore with gold pants still on, so uh, hang on a sec here. All right, guys? <laughs> this is what's going on. This is, believe it or not, guys, what is going on between Nicodemus and Jesus. This ruler, this Sanhedrin, this guy who thinks he's all that. And he just can't grasp this basic point of what Jesus is teaching. You must be born again. And do you know what the irony is? It's saturated in the Torah. It's saturated in the law. But do you know what the problem is? It's never been worded like that before. The way Jesus said it, the way Jesus framed it, it wasn't that it was new, it was that it was a new way of speaking. And I think there's a powerful lesson to those of us here who call ourselves Christian, because how much of our faith is based on cliché without understanding what the clichés mean? How often do we believe more a formula or a phrase or a way of saying something instead of the substance about what it's truly about? 
And that's what Jesus is doing here in John 3. He is getting at the heartbeat going, you know what this stuff is about, Nicodemus. You know what it means to be born a son of God. But I'm telling you, there's a rebirth and it goes beyond being a Jew. It goes beyond being child of Abraham. It goes beyond being born into a Christian family. It is about a transformation that is required of each and every single one of us. Because without it, no kingdom. Without it, no salvation. Without it, you're still lost in the darkness and groping around. And this is what John 3 and these entire 40 weeks have been about. And then Jesus shifts to explain how this transformation works. He says, just like Moses lifted up a bronze snake in the wilderness. Go back and read Numbers 21 sometime. And anyone who looks on it will be saved. So in the same way, the Son of Man, the one who came down from heaven, is going to be lifted up so that anyone who looks on him will be saved. He doesn't describe how that happens. He doesn't describe why that happens. But he says, if you do, transformation. And then he shifts into one of the most powerful poignant passages in the Bible. One that people have been showing off at football games since time memorial. Honestly, if one verse you were going to learn these 40 weeks, that it would be this one. And it starts by saying this. For in this way, God loved the world. Now, you probably memorized it, for God so loved the world. And the problem is when you hear so that way, you think so means like how much, right? God so loved the world, and that's true. But that's not really what this passage is getting at. It's saying, therefore, in this way, how? In this way, God loved the world. Which brings a question. How does God love you? Does God love you by giving you whatever you want? Does God love you by answering all your prayers according to the way you ask them? Does God love you by alleviating your pain and your suffering? God admittedly does these things in varying degrees. But that's not how God really loves you. In this way, God loved the world. In this way, that he gave his only son. I want you to get these words on your lips with me today. Ready? For in this way, God loved the world. Say it again. That he gave his one and only son. That's how God loved you. All these other things that we think mark love, gifts and enablement, tender mercy and care, good and wonderful things. But God gave you something so much more. He said, here's my son. Here's my one and only son. At one level, we're all adopted children of God, but there's only one who has a sameness. A sameness that can only be comparable to like biological relationship. And God says, I love you, my adopted children, and those of you here who are fleeing your adoption. I love you so much that I sacrifice my one and only for you. Guys, that's how God loves you. And there's something more than that because it doesn't say that God loves you. It says God loves the world, right? 
In the Gospel of John, do you know what the world refers to? Sinful, fallen, wretched, corrupt, rebellious creation. And are you created? So that includes you. It doesn't say, for God so loved Christians, for God so loved Jews, for God so loved righteous folk, for God so loved the good ones, for God so loved the morally pure, for God so loved the ones who seek me with all my heart. No, God loves the wretches, the downcast, the broken, the defiled. God loves the sinner, the wretched, the evil, the rebellious. Am I describing any of you here this morning? If I am, I got good news for you. God loves you so much that he gave you his only son. Say it with me. For in this way God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever trusts in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You probably learned the word believe, but I'm backing off of it intentionally because sometimes belief conjures an idea that if I just know the right things... I'm cool, but that's not what he's talking about. He's looking for people that trust him. People that trust him. People that throw their stock in with him. People that just don't go, okay, Jesus, I get it. I memorized John 3.16. But people who throw their lives in. In this way, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you trust him, his promise to you is you will not perish have eternal life. And I need to tell you, eternal life is not something that starts the moment you die. Eternal life is not just some future hope that has no bearing now. Eternal life begins the moment that you are born again. Eternal life begins the moment God comes and starts his transformative work in you. And it's like what John 3.16 is saying. Here's how it works. Do you want to be born again? Do you want to be born from above? Do you want this rebirth, this transformation? The access point is trust in his son. Simply trust in his son and what his son has done for you. And God's spirit, whether you feel it or not, has begun his work in that moment. Which raises a direly important question this morning. How is your transformation going? See, I I meet so many believers who get so fixated about a time when they were born again that they forget what's more important is what God is doing now. It's kind of like this. I don't have my birth certificate here this morning. But what if I spent the morning going around to each and every one of you, like like here today and after worship, going, hey, look, see? See, I was born. Look at my birth certificate. I've got proof. See, look, it really happened. It's notarized. You can check the fingerprint and the footprint. It'll match. What's more important, showing you that or just going, hey, guys, am I alive? What is more living proof and what is more important? Now, some people get so hung up on the moment when they were born again 
the moment when it happened, and for some people, it comes with this, 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 this climax of anxiety, this, this moment of crisis, this, this, this watershed experience that, 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 that can be marked by the second when they formally give their lives over to Jesus and results with a euphoria of, of joy and peace and forgiveness. And if that happened to you, awesome. But some people get so fixated on that that they forget what's important is how is it now? Because what God is looking for is transformation. To be born again and to leave it there is the spiritual equivalent of stillbirth. And God's call to each of us remains. Must be born again. Let me transform you. My spirit is on the move and you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, so don't miss it. Don't delay. When it comes, seize it. And may God do something in you that is so radical. It can only be compared to rebirth. That is what John 3 and these 40 weeks have been about. My prayer for you is that the 40 weeks don't become just another memory and the past in your life. Put your trust in him. See what he does. Would you rise with me? Would you pray with me? And I invite you this morning that if you have struggled to trust Christ and what he's done for you, whether you've done it before or not, use these next few moments to take that step into his spirit and rebirth. Confess your sins. Come into the light. Receive him as your savior. Trust him as your Lord. God in heaven, Lord Jesus, you came down, O oh son of man. You came down from the right hand of our God, a lion and a lamb. You were lifted up, lifted up on that pole, on that, that stake, on that cross, so, so that everyone who looks upon you will have eternal life. Well, God, we're looking. And I pray for the people in this room right now. God, that we would look up and see you lifted up. That here this day, we would dare to risk placing our trust in you. And for those here, God, who, who fear their salvation, who doubt it, who, who feel mired by their sins, who wonder how a God like you can love someone like us, may they hear your words echoing loud and strong that everyone who believes in you, everyone who trusts in you, will not perish have eternal life. Transform us, God. Bring us rebirth. Pour your spirit upon us, we pray. And may we walk into the light. Lord, you once taught your disciples how to pray. 
May these next words go beyond cliche for us. But may the heartbeat and substance of what they say define our being. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.